a great pleasure to be here with uh, people from a lot of people that I know from my previous work in the Australian Flexible Learning Framework. It's such a fantastic initiative and actually I believe has moved Australia forward in that whole field of e-learning. Um, but today's session hopefully will be really exciting as well. Um, I think what we need to do is think about plausible futures. If, we, if we're thinking about all this technology, we, we also need to think about what it's going to look like in the future. And um, that's the reason I, that we're looking at the NBN today. I mean, it's, it's one of our national strategies, government, uh, Commonwealth Government national strategies. We need to understand what it's going to provide for us. And so this is what the panel is going to talk about today. But we want this to be as interactive as possible. Uh, throughout the day, those people that are on Twitter, um, please just Twitter any information or comments or, or ideas that you might have along the way. Uh, because on either screen, I believe you're going to see the Twitter stream along the bottom. Hopefully, if, if the technology works. And just reiterate what um, Melanie just said. Um, please use the old technology to write down a question. And if you've got one, just wave it in the air because we'll need people to bring it up to us. That's a bit of an old technology, but you need the exercise as well. So before we get started, I'm going to ask um, the panel to introduce themselves. Now, they've been asked. They've only got... 30 seconds to one minute to introduce themselves. You've got a, a bio of each of them there. So uh, just before we get started, would you please, we'll start with Sabine. Um, hello, everyone. Can you hear me? Yes. Um, my name's Sabine Heidel from NBN Co. So the company that's been charged with building this uh, brand new spanking uh, network. Um, I'm very passionate about the education space, having played a little bit in it in my um, previous roles. And I've been asked to throw something provocative into the crowd. Um, and very recently, Stephen Heppel, who's a leading education luminary from the UK, said something that attracted my attention, which is high-speed broadband is the death of education. Let's not stop there. Uh, but the birth of learning. And I think that that poses a really exciting new future for all of us in this room. So I look forward to exploring that during the panel discussion. Thanks very much, Sabine. Dean? Uh, my name's Dean Grimm. I'm uh, currently at Macquarie University. and I work in learning and teaching, so that's my, my thing. Um, but I also work a lot with uh, social, social inclusion and diversity and work with all sectors and schools and do all sorts of stuff. Um, so my interest is, is really about where can we go and um, how are we going to take things to be more mobile um, than currently having everyone sitting at tables and, and chairs at home. Thank you. Dennis. Uh, Dennis Price, good morning. And um, we're here because um, we run a, a business consultancy that happens to also have an RTO attached to it um, because when you consult you want to implement and we do that through the training. Um, I hope my comments this morning won't elicit a snap audit um, <laughs> because um, I fundamentally believe that um, the, the whole master-apprentice teaching philosophy is broken um, and um, technology will play a very important part in fixing that but not in the way that most people think um, because I, I think it's unfortunate that we actually talk about e-learning instead of maybe i-learning uh, because learning is about the people and, and never about the technology and if we're going to chase that uh, that dream of, of you know second life or some virtual simulation that's going to be the bee's knees um, then we're going down the wrong path completely I believe um, I just want to ask one question how many people can uh, edit an HTML file in the room if you can show me okay so maybe 30%, 40%. So the rest of us are waiting for the technology to make it easier for us to create the content. Um, and by the time that's happened, our learners have caught up and they can do the same. So then they don't need us anymore to do that. Um, and, and that's the fundamental challenge for us. Thanks very much, Dennis. And Sam? Yes, uh, Sam Meredith, uh, Tope New South Wales, New England Institute, uh, currently uh, 
director of Edu1 project. That, uh, the details of that project are in your booklet. Um, so, NBN Impact, we're a first release site in Armadale for the NBN and huge community effort to get, to, to get us to that point. Um, the NBN, a big headache. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> well, there we go. <laughs> Can we, I've got to find new ways to work with the community, engage with them. I've got to find new ways to uh, and care and share meaningfully with you lot. <laughs> and uh, new business models we're having to examine to have actually once we start developing services using the NBN to make them say it's, um, scalable and sustainable so that we're not constantly uh, fund junkies which um, means totally new way of working. So, um, yeah, it's the headache you, you, you want to have, basically. A big headache. Well, let's, let's just have a look. So everybody's on the same track as far as the NBN um, concerned. So we have a, a video to start with just um, about the NBN. So what I'd like to do is um, just... Uh, pass over to Sabine because I'm sure she's got the latest information on and statistics and so on on what's happening with the NBN. So over to you, Sabine. Thank you. Um, I thought we were off to a bad start when um, Sam described it as a headache. I thought, no, 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 here's my case example. He's supposed to be saying good things. Um, but I was glad to hear that it's a, a headache one would like to have. Um, look, I guess from NBN Co's perspective, there's obviously um, a couple of points to make. First of all, we've been charged with the construction job of creating this network. And the, the vast majority of the company is made up of engineers who are doing just that. Um, they're building, they're going to be operating a network ultimately. And the idea of what comes down the pipes and how it's used is really in the hands of everybody in this room. So it's not my job to dictate to you what the potential is and how you should use it. I'd love to excite you about it and I think that's what really the purpose of this panel is today. But from speaking to people across the education sector very broadly, I think one of the things that's really struck me is there are some, there's some amazing innovation going on already. There's some wonderful teachers that are doing amazing things. Um, in rural Australia where they're literally having to hold up you know, their mobile phone to get reception. And yet despite those obstacles, they're still really exciting people in terms of learning opportunities. It's about looking at those sorts of things and imagining that on a broad scale. Last week I was at a conference and Professor Shirley Alexander from um, UTS, so very close by, uh, made the point that really a high-speed broadband is going to expand the time, place and pace of education. And to me, that really summed it up in a nutshell. Um, we're going to see, and this is, we can already look to examples like South Korea where they have a high-speed broadband network um, available. And interestingly, I, I read the other day that the way that they got people to connect and excited about the network was to guilt parents um, in terms of saying, if your child doesn't have this kind of connectivity, they are not going to be able to learn in an essential way for their future. Now, I'm not suggesting um, by any stretch of the imagination that we should be doing the same thing. But I think the reality is those concepts of geography that often may have held us back in a learning sense are really going to disappear now. So the idea of having a campus where students come to you that will be gone. You will be able to reach students wherever they may be physically located around Australia, which of course opens up so many opportunities. Um, but I think the other thing is it's a different type of learning. And you'll know this already that students don't want mass education anymore. They want individualised learning. And this gives the opportunity for it to be a collaborative learning experience. So in terms of the nuts and bolts, um, which is what I think I was asked to talk about. Um, what, what does it look like at the moment? Uh, we have uh, fibred up much of Tasmania. They, they were our first release site. Uh, we've done five first release sites on the mainland, including Armadale. Uh, and a couple of months ago, we announced a 12-month plan in relation to 48 new sites. Early next year, we will be releasing the three-year plan 
And I can assure you for all the people that will be made very ecstatic by that three-year plan, there will be lots of people, including people in this room, who will be not part of that rollout. It will come, stay patient. It's a nine and a half year rollout, so it is going to take us until 2020 um, to build out. And it's partly fibre, it's 4% um, of the community will be touched by fixed wireless and then 3% by satellite. In terms of what you can expect, um, ACAN, which is a consumer organisation, uh, estimating the way that they pitch it is speeds of um, about 100 times faster, generally, uh, to what we are expecting. And from a pricing perspective, which is often the next question, um, we're a wholesaler. It's really up to internet service providers to price accordingly. But what we've seen so far in terms of the pricing plans that have come out, it's very comparable with the ADSL services that um, you'd be paying for now, except that you are getting you know, up to 100 times faster in terms of speed. So what that should mean is that the majority of Australians, including you as consumers, including in your learning environment, but most importantly, the last mile issue, the students to whom you're teaching with and collaborating with, will be on incredibly um, fast broadband, which should open uh, all sorts of new horizons, um, particularly in the, the vocational education space. Thanks, Sabir. So, Sam, I guess in the New England region where you're from, what is it, uh, Armadale to Moree and all the places in between? This all sounds like really good news and a headache. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what are the most compelling and challenging um, issues you've got in your region that, you know, as a, as a TAFE college that you're going to be facing in relation to, a, to this high-speed broadband? Yes, well, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for us, and of course, as I say, it keeps, keeps us sometimes awake at night. Um, what we're finding, of course, we have to be leaders in the community as, as an educational institution. The TAFE um, presence, of course, is strong in all our communities, so we have to be leaders, and that, that's in terms of helping um, basic ICT skills for individuals and 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 making best use of business practice with high-speed broadband. Um, so, for example, uh, we aim to set up in Armidale a, um, a digital hub at the back of the town hall, which is connected with the local library, and that's with the support of the local council. Also, with the help of the uh, Chamber of Commerce, we'll set up some uh, training opportunities for uh, local businesses, as I've said, to maximise the use of that, the um, business opportunities. So this is all driven by the fact that from a regional area like Armadale, uh, we can operate as if we're the centre of the universe, of course, which we are, <laughs> <laughs> and enjoying it. I have to say, though, of course, we're only um, partly connected, uh, east, uh, a west a portion of Armadale. By the end of uh, this year, if not before, the rest of Armadale will be connected. Wireless, then a donut around Armadale, then satellite beyond. Because, as Robbie says, our campuses are across 100,000 square k's. So we we have in our project, for example, our Edu One Education, our New England project, have to you know our we do a, obviously a lot of second chance education to to um, um, learners who have been disenfranchised, uh, perhaps in the past. We've got a broad, broad range of people we're dealing with. So the connectivity, yes, we, that connectivity is just going to give us wonderful opportunities, but we have to, for our project, for example, we have to, we have to be very careful because, okay, Armadale, part, and then eventually the rest of Armadale and first release sites, uh, very high speed. Uh, ultimately, across eight years, so we're in a transition process in this thinking, and setting the groundwork now, which, which is what we're doing and what you'll be doing. So we, our technologies need to be scalable, recognise what the users have. So we're, that we're designing tech, our learning technologies in our projects to be, re, be responsive. And it has to be said, I guess, the highest level of service um, in terms of interactivity will be with fibre connections. But because we'll design our 
um, um, how should I say it, the quality of our video in terms of uh, um, sort of basic uh, a medium and, and high quality. This is the way we're addressing that at this moment because we're in a, in a transitionary phase. So those are, those are some of the, the issues we're facing. And the actual thing, we also have to be in, bear in mind the actual cost to our learners. So again, I've talked about the, dip, the um, sometimes disenfranchised learners, disenfranchised learners. We can't expect them to be paying a significant... Uh, funds for, you know, and demand that they, to interact with us all that they, they must have, um, you know, a high speed connection. So we have to be, we have to lead and be responsive to all of those things and it's a complex place to be but as I say, one needs to relish this because, you know, it's, um, it's a, you know, it is a wonderful opportunity. So you're also talking about uh, designing facilities that will enable people to come along to those facilities and use those facilities once the rollout continues to happen. Um, Dennis, you're from Kiama, and Kiama is also one of the first rollouts. Just to know whether you've noticed any differences so far. No. No, okay. <laughs> well, that's a simple answer. <laughs> I mean, personally, um, in our, in our yes. business, yes. Uh, but in, in the community and what's happening there, um, Retail and hospitality is the dominant industry in Kayama, so it's all small businesses, you know, bed and breakfast type things. So it's very fragmented. Um, the, the we w with this recent round of funding, you know, we approached the chamber and they said, "Oh, lovely idea! You go right ahead. We'll give you a letter of support." But you know, we can't. Um, so uh, yeah, it's a little bit. Uh, a little so bit I guess that's one of the challenges, yeah. though, is about bringing the community along with, with your ideas and your thoughts. So as an RTO where you're already delivering flexibly um, and have some very, very good products, what will this mean to your clients and your offering us the, this high-speed broadband system? So um, our philosophy, as, as I alluded to earlier, is not about um, making louder bells and whistles because we believe that learning should be self-evident so when, when they sit there in front of the, I'm talking about e-learning, uh, when they sit in front of that screen, the thing that they need to do needs to be very clear to them. Um, and what they need, if, if it's not, because it's not a perfect world, they want to know now, with that short attention span, what do I do? And if they want to contact you know, the trainer, the fact that it's asynchronous doesn't mean anything. If they're going to wait you know, two days to get a response, they've lost interest and they've lost motivation. So for us, the, the really big thing is contactability. So our LMS is integrated with you know, mobile phones and email systems, so if anybody makes an inquiry, gets stuck at any point, it doesn't matter where we are, we know, and we can give them a little kick along. So for us, yeah. that sort of uh, capacity is, is really important. Um, we shouldn't forget, though, that we have the, uh, the MBN, but they don't. So if, if we now go, because we can, you know, the Kevin Costner philosophy, build the field and they'll come kind of thing. So we, we can't go and do this big thing and, and they're not there. Um, many of our people don't know how to bookmark a website. So the people of Kayama, do you think they're starting to think about what the plausible futures of the NBN might be? Or is this something that um, as, as RTOs and as teachers and educators that uh, we may, might need to take some responsibility around that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I know the council is talking to Wollongong Uni and yeah. um, you know, they've got their version of the NBN, I suppose. Um, but it's going to take the bigger companies to, to really um, take the lead. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Okay, I'm just keeping my eye on the audience in case there's any questions um, coming up. Oh, three so far, fantastic. You can heckle if you like, really. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think um, a question for Sam. Um, what support or strategies do you have to help your teachers and facilitators to adapt and use this technology? And we're going to be talking about the capabilities of staff a little bit further, but would you like to just make a, a, a responsive remark to that? 
Yes, sure. There's um, currently what happens in New England Institute of TAFE. It's similar to a lot of um, uh, TAFE institutes and um, private RTOs, I'm, uh, I'm sure. Uh, we have learning support officers who in help uh, the teachers um, learn how to learn the new technologies, learn how to customise resources. All the kinds of comments that uh, Jane Hart was making assist teachers to bring them into the, the new way of working. With our, with our project, the EDU1, I guess there's a different slice of that in that um, that is, uh, as I've said, we're developing some technologies, one of which we're calling EDU1 Interactive, and given we've got high-speed com communications possibilities, this will be video-based um, um, interactive um, learning activities. So a, a sequence of video of um, depending on the circumstance, may be reasonable high production. So, uh, when in in the in our trial, which goes to June 2013, we're learning a bit about how to make best use of those video technologies. So, in that particular instance, we're having some uh, immediate uh, production, um, uh, a small entity to in fact assist the teachers to produce those original materials. So it'll be a, a film and TV teacher in Armidale, for example, is assisting others to produce a, what's called an open education resource on a sustainable building practice. Now, by open education resource, this is our, um, this is our uh, thinking about engaging with the uh, community. So these are, these are uh, free um, pieces of learning. These are all, for our, in TAFE speak, they're all connect, uh, they're all articulated into a training package. So uh, they're independent learning, but they're articulated in a training package. Community member comes to EDU1, has a look, oh, that looks interesting, I'll do that. There's a video sequence, there's some learning activities there for them, independently engaged with. Uh, we'll give them an EDU1 identity and at, um, and at, the, uh, at any point in that learning process, they can choose to, we'll offer them the choice. Do you want to, was that interesting? Do you want to save that evidence? And well, yes, because underpinning what we're doing is an e-portfolio to capture that evidence of the, uh, the learning. So that's the value we're wanting to add because the, some of the learners, as I say, are um, not very confident perhaps so if, they, if we're giving them an interesting experience, uh, audio, visually, minimal text and so forth, all the classic things about online learning, and then we, we've sneaked up on them by then uh, providing the evidence. They say, wow, gee, I, I can do that. That was interesting. And they can then knock on our door and, and enrol. And similarly, the University of New England with its open education resources will do that. So it's a pathway to the further education and training. So, okay. so that's what, what we're up to. Yeah, so you're, you're saying that there's a combined um, sort of capability development in terms of the teachers and trainers as well as the, the learners, the students that are coming in. That's right. Okay. Look, another question which I think uh, a lot of people would be interested in, and this is for you, Sabine. If this is a 10-year rollout plan, what happens if there is a change of government? Would there be changes to this rollout? <laughs> um, look, I mean, I think the, uh, the, the, the political controversy around um, this project is probably well documented. One only has to read The Australian on a daily basis. Um, the reality is, though, certainly from a personal perspective, I think that um, the rhetoric from the opposition has changed of late. If you've listened hard to what Malcolm Turnbull's saying, it's no more about abolishing the NBN. I think it's um, probably a more sophisticated plan about what it might look like. Um, and I'm not trying to suggest that he wouldn't want to change elements of it. Um, that said, I guess what's been really interesting for me, and I've only been with the company three months, is um, the demand for high-speed broadband that's coming from communities particularly in regional and remote areas. Um, it's fine for us, I live in Sydney and in the metro area and you know, my internet is, is, is okay. But 
but we're talking about communities that don't even have you know reliable internet or their speeds are at dial-up and the reason that that's relevant is I think that in a political sense that is going to impact if there is a change of government they're going to have a, a lot of loud constituents coming from rural and regional areas saying we need this infrastructure so I guess my best guess and um, I could be proven wrong on this is that it may well be that the nature of the project changes, but I do think that there is a commitment and a demand by the Australian community for this kind of project to proceed in some shape or form. Thanks, Sabine. And just one more for you to Sabine. Sure. <laughs> is there any monitoring by NBN whether, uh, with the advent of the NBN, there is an increase in the downloading un of unauthorised music and I guess anything else? <laughs> I know who might have answered this. Consumers. <laughs> so I should disclose that my background is um, running the anti-piracy organisation after the music industry. So I'm obviously well versed to be able to answer this question. Look, I think one of the realities is if we look to countries like South Korea, um, the fact was with faster uh, high-speed broadband, um, people were doing the sorts of things we'd prefer them not to do, um, and that included piracy and porn, dare I say it. Um, but I think the unique thing that we've got here in Australia is while on one hand a nine-and-a-half-year rollout is disappointing, particularly for those communities that won't get it right now, um, the reality is it does place in all of our hands a unique opportunity to get the content part of it right. So let's fill those pipes with legitimate content and let's make sure that it's Australian companies and Australian creators and sectors who are actually saying, look at this compelling content and let's make sure that that's exactly what's coming down the pipe. And that's the reason why you know, I'm in this role. I mean, I feel passionately about that. And I come from an industry that was decimated by the internet, not fast internet, but the internet um, full stop. They've had to recreate themselves. Um, and I think, you know, to some of Sam's points earlier, yeah, it is going to be, uh, a, a, it is known as disruptive technology. It is going to change the way we do things. But I think we should be focusing on the positive of that, which is the sort of innovation that Australians are known for. We punch above our weight in terms of innovation. Let's focus on those opportunities and by the time this infrastructure rolls out, let's have lots of great Australian content going down the pipes that people are consuming legitimately with sustainable business models behind them. Thanks, Sabine. Look, before we get uh, um, on to any other questions, uh, we have another short video. Again, it's from NBN and this isn't a plug for NBN. It's more about looking at the plausible futures and what's possible. So, um, Steph, if we could have that second video. Okay, let's move back to the panel. And Dean's been very, very quiet, so I've got a curly one for you, Dean. Um, and I think it's more about the pedagogy and uh, the pedagogy of learning. In a recent white paper published by Telstra, it states that NetGen and GenNext are different types of learners to that of their baby boomer parents. It suggests that their learning is rooted in their early life experiences, especially when it comes to technology. It suggests they are not passive recipients of media, rather they are active initiators, collaborators, designers and authenticators. As a result of these indicators, they fundamentally process information, think and behave differently, and they want freedom, love, uh, love to personalise, are scrutinisers, look for integrity and openness, bring a playful mentality into the environment, collaborate, need speed, and they innovate. Would you like to just comment in your field in terms of changing pedagogy? Make some comments around that. Thanks, Dean. Okay, so does anybody know me around here? Okay. Pedagogy is a word that people say at interviews. And they very rarely say it any other time. So That's I'm going to skip past that, even though I feel like I'm in a bit of an interview panel or an advert. Um, my, my view is that Telstra is producing the kind of information that it wants you to receive. And I would suggest that Telstra actually reads more of Mark Prensky's work 
um, particularly his earlier academic papers because that's just recycling what Prensky was talking about as digital natives and digital immigrants just added with a nice Telstra logo and imagine and I have I have actually read that and it was you know no, no news to anyone that actually has actually learned to read um, and another point I'd, I'd point about that is that um, the whole digital natives and immigrants debate w wasn't about blogs and wikis and podcasts and broadband and internet. He was actually talking about video games way before people were doing anything with Web 2.0. So that kind of stuff it, and pretty much anything can be taken so much straight out of context and applied to another context that a lot of those kind of statements to me are absolutely meaningless. Um, I, I, I think there's a, there's a guy called um, Peter Drucker who's unfortunately died now because he's really old. But he's in a, well, he's not old anymore. Um, but Peter Drucker is an economist and, and he, he's got this fantastic statement which is that um, culture kills strategy for breakfast. So I don't care what you call the NBN or how fast you think it goes. The reality is that the cult is what will drive it, not the actual technology itself. Um, I live on the central coast and we only have ADSL 1 where I live, so I have three ADSL lines that I pair up to try and get a half-decent thing on my Xbox. Um, I, 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 we've been hearing for two or three years that Telstra are going to roll out a new switch so we can get ADSL 2 in Saratoga. Um, they've been going around charging people for ADSL 2 speeds. I, I love the phrase up to. That's my favorite phrase. Um, so you can go up to and you can pay more on the central coast to get up to ADSL 2, but in reality you're going through the same switch, so you're still going to get ADSL 1 sucked in. And it's back down to literacy. People don't know what ping is. They don't know how to measure their broadband. They don't know how to measure the performance of the things that they're doing. So, although I think kids are extremely savvy about um, what they like to do online, um, I'm, I'm kind of struggling to see really how it's going to make learning better just because it's kind of faster. And, and just illustrate that. I was out a couple of weeks ago in, um, out in communities in Alice Springs. Um, and the communities that the NGOs out there serve, which are volunteer organizations, UK volunteer organizations that are actually doing the youth work and training the people in these communities who have run out of money and won't be back next year. So I'm not sure who's going to be doing it up there. Um, they're about the area of the size of France, and they have 300 megabytes a day, and they have about 30 computers in all of that. So I really can't see how it's going to reach the people that it needs to reach. I think that the city dwellers have already got, admittedly it's not as fast as the rest of the planet or Korea or America, but I mean, we're not actually that bad off in the cities. You can use Skype and you can stream from your phone, and, unless it's Vodafone. Um, <laughs> So you can, do all, you can do all of these things, but, but it comes down to, to me, it's, um, it's the culture that exists within schools. So it's, you know, will this, will this pipeline be filtered? How will filters in schools change? We've got a national curriculum that doesn't promote equity because some kids simply have more access to more information than other kids. Um, I, it, I cringe when I go into a TAFE organization to do um, a, a workshop with teachers because I know that unless I take my own 3G, Everything I want to use is going to be blocked. <laughs> There's no... So I don't see... So, I, so And that's a culture. I, I, can I can understand blocking pornography, blocking drugs, hate and violence. Yeah, that, that's fair enough. Um, we've, got a, a, you know, a res we've got to respect people. We, we've got to do the right thing in those areas. But we've had such an extension of, of this kind of moral panic that's being created that we actually think it's completely normal to live within the, these bubbles. So I, I think that the NBM will be fantastic, but I want to be mobile, I want to have choice. If I want a fat internet connection in my house and I want my kids to have a computer that can actually do computer science and programming, I don't want to use an app. I want them to actually build an app. And, and I think that whilst we're building a better infrastructure, we're absolutely stupid if we're not also building more creative and more ability amongst the people that we're trying to teach. And that, that works down from those people that have got very low levels of literacy um, through to those people that are currently potentially could make you know, the next you know, greatest thing in technology. But the places that they're learning in are so restricted at the moment that you know, I, I really find it's difficult to see at this point how, how actual learning itself is going to change in a formal sense. 
And when I think about informal sense, I think it already has. Thank you. Well, there we Sorry. are. <laughs> That's a very good <laughs> diversion. <laughs> um, I just wonder if any of the other panels would like, the panel members would like to comment on, you know, teaching and learning and, and the future of teaching and learning. I mean, I know, Sabine, you mentioned, um, what was your quote, that uh, at the very beginning, something about um, the, the, death of, the death of... The death of, of education and the birth of learning. Learning, yes. Um, I, I, look, I think what's really interesting is having spoken now to a number of people in the, the sector, one of the things that really excites me, and I have a six and a two-year-old, and the two-year-old will go up to a magazine and think it's not working because it's not looking like an iPad to him. Um, but, you know, there's some amazing projects that are going on where they're actually encouraging. There's a wonderful teacher over at St Ives um, Public School, so here in Sydney, who's She's not creating the learning. She's asking her students to do it. And it's a gamified platform, because let's be factual, I mean, that is the future. And I know the gamers hate the term gamification. But um, having you know, two small boys and seeing how they engage in that space. But I think it is about that kind of dialogue between creators, learners, and educators. And while I absolutely agree that you know, teachers have to be um, upskilled, maybe it's about encouraging them and I mean I come from, a, my past role was involved in some cyber security learning and often parents would say to me, oh but you know my little kid knows more about the internet than I do, how the hell am I supposed to be able to teach them anything? But it comes back to basics that as a parent you know where you draw the line and what the right and wrong things are. So of course it's in a different environment. But the same thing goes for teachers. Teachers are so amazing at teaching. It's just about applying those kind of skill sets in a different area, tapping into the people that you're teaching or facilitating. I think that's really going to be the key. No more is it about teaching, standing up in you know, lecture theatres and kind of dictating out content. But it's a much more collaborative arrangement. If my son's to be believed, he's teaching his teacher, so he's in year one, about that interactive whiteboard more than she would ever learn you know, from anybody else. Why not embrace that? Because that's even an education for my son in trying to teach, if that's the right description, um, her how to, to, to learn it and embrace that new technology. So it is a bit of a different paradigm. Um, and the other thing that excites me that I, I can't help but adding in is the change to learning spaces. Um, they're now uh, having uh, people that are anthropologists involved in designing new learning spaces um, to excite kids because they're just not going to learn in the same sorts of ways that, that we're used to. And I think the vocational sector um, sits in a really great spot to take advantage of some of those things because, um, you know, you're teaching really interesting things and things um, I was lucky enough to be involved in the, the, the panel that was looking at some of the initiatives um, or applications for the NBN. And some of the great things, and I won't give any of them away because I know that they haven't been announced as yet, but some of the great things were things like in construction courses, how about enabling students to go into a virtual world where they could go through and assess the health and safety issues. So it's no more about having to you know, bring these learners into a construction site, if that was ever possible, but actually a virtual construction site where both the learners and the teachers can be walking through it and looking at all of these sorts of things and having collaborative conversations about it. Um, I think that's a really exciting world and, and you know, I hope that my sons can make the most of that. And I think everybody in this room has the skills to apply their already great skill sets into this exciting and innovative new future. One of the things I'd like to explore is digital literacies. It's something that uh, I've heard say is important as the language and numeracy literacies. Um, uh, Dennis, do you have any thoughts around the digital literacies required for this sort of uh, future that we're talking about? Um, from the teacher's perspective or the yeah, let's, let's do it from the teacher's perspective <laughs> and the capabilities of the teachers. Um, so one of the benefits of the NBN for us is that um, we're basically getting rid of the office network and everything is now in the cloud. And so that's where our backups sit. And 
um, which means that we can fearlessly experiment. I download anything, anytime, <laughs> whatever is the latest thing, I download it, and you know, if it screws up the computer, then I just fix it, because you know, the backup is there, and it's safe, and it's easy, and there's no IT department involved, and stuff like that. So, um, so for teachers, the only way to stay on top of things is to be able to do that. So, you know, to that point, if, if there's an IT department that thinks that they need to ring fence and do all of that sort of stuff, like that's an industrial era relic, you know, that, that doesn't doesn't work anymore. And and the same thing applies, you know, to the students. They're not actually as computer literate as most of you think. Um, I, I said earlier about self-evident, and it didn't look like, you know, that rang a bell for anybody. But honestly, for my kid. So he's, you know, two older ones, but the young one. Ask him to bookmark a page, he wouldn't know what to do. He can upload things to YouTube, and he can run his Facebook, and he can do heaps of other things. He even built a little website on some little platform that he discovered somewhere for a school project. But he cannot bookmark a web page. For him to find something is, even his Facebook page is not bookmarked. He just goes to Google and types in Facebook, and hits enter, and he expects it to be the first one. You know, but he can't upload a file. He can't even email. He can't attach an, an attachment to an email. Like so, th so there's a r this real paradox that they very comfortable, but it's got to be obvious and evident on the screen. If they have to read anything, and that's where it, like I, I use this bookmarking thing as an example because the old way, if you think back to Internet Explorer, it was file bookmarks add a bookmark, you know, you had to go through three or four clicks to go and do that, and then where does it actually go, and how do you, and what, to find the bookmark, you have to go down a different path, so people just didn't do it, and, and, and so you have this real discrepancy, and, um, but I can say just in closing what was mentioned earlier about the benefit of becoming more computer literate just by virtue of doing the program online is massive, and we've seen this with older Females in particular, you know, 65 years old, just, you know, afterwards being so ecstatic. And then even younger ones, you know, who now suddenly know how to scan and, and how to send a fax via the computer and, and just basic stuff. Um, so digital literacy is, is really not where we think it is. Uh, and the only way to get there is just to try shit out, you know, do it. Dean, I'm really interested in your comments around digital literacy. I guess this is just not going to work. Sullivan share. Um, I think from a kind of a research and academic perspective, the general consensus is that digital literacy is a thing which cannot be defined because it changes so fast. And it's very contextual on where your datum point is as to how far you see that extending. Um, so, so I would argue that uh, we've got 200 kids currently from the age of 4 to 16 who are incredibly literate on using all sorts of things in a video game that we're facilitating. And we have two rules, no lessons and no teaching. And they're incredibly literate in that space and in what they're doing, and they're extending out into other spaces. So West, while uh, in school they're being told how to use Word and how to make spreadsheets and make PowerPoints and do this kind of really text-based stuff, um, I don't see that works for them. But when I see kids that are... Um, building giant Santa Clauses because they want to with their friends, then they'll make a YouTube video about it, then they'll write a blog post about it, and they'll figure out how to use the technologies because they've got a need. And so I think that we need to be really careful about when, when we're thinking about um, digital literacy that we're also thinking about, um, again, back to culture, but also about thinking about the age and the stage of the people. Um, the people teaching it have different needs to the people learning it. The people learning it um, at a younger age, I mean, kids in primary school are vastly different to the kids in high school already. And so we can't sort of think of digital literacy as being a kind of neat diagram that we put quarters and we put Twitter in one corner and we put blogs in another corner. It's far more complicated than that. So I think if we spend too much time obsessing about it, um, we'll end up sort of spent just, just wasting time. Whereas in the meantime, you know, whatever we create, the kids will find a way around it anyway. So I think we should just ask the kids more. Okay. Maybe ask the teachers as well? No. 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 no, 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 no. no. Because let me, just, let me just say about um, 
you know, one of, one of the reasons that we have literacy the way we have it is because it's a financial construct of how do we actually market, how do we actually assess it, how do we actually comply with it and tick the boxes and show what we're doing when we have very little time and often, um, you know, very little money. And one of the easiest ways of doing that is getting something to write something down because we all know what books are and we know what essays are. So it's often it's the easiest and lowest common denominator. Oh. I, if I was to say, you know, tell me what it feels like to play a video game and use Second Life and then ask a teacher to assess it, whole world of pain. Yes. So, <laughs> you know, so I don't, I don't okay. actually think that, that teachers should be driving it at all. I think they have a role to play in facilitating it, but I think that, that we, 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 especially in younger people, uh, we need to be thinking a lot smarter than we are. Okay, thank you very much. Now, I've, I've just got one more question that I'd like to ask. In fact, I've got tens of questions here, but there's one here that says, um, I think it's from Dean, not to Dean. Do panel members have any concerns that a fibre-based NBN solution will potentially disadvantage learners who prefer to use mobile devices and seek instead stronger mobile connections? Well, can I jump in and say, yes, by policy it will be so, because we'll gravitate towards the wired policy because that's what we're plugging into all of our buildings. Um, the rollout and the speed and the competitive of, say, 4G, 5G, 6G will be that we can get similar speeds, but we still won't get the policy changed on it's a mobile phone, put it in your bag. We will, that policy, again, it, it's, it's a cultural thing. So I, I think, yeah, we, we're going to run into all sorts of problems with, with mobiles, but not necessarily a, a competition between which is the fastest or the most efficient delivery mechanism. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Sabine, did you want to make any comment around that? Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly, and I don't have the graph here, but um, certainly all the evidence shows that these technologies are complementary. So really, I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it. Of course, mobile usage is going up, and we don't see that as competition per se. I mean, that's about mobile access. And what's interesting, though, when you look at the, that, those data sets is that people aren't downloading or uploading huge files using mobile phones. That's because it's expensive. What the fibre complementary technology does is give you that capacity. The other thing I think where people get a bit confused is you can still have a pipe coming in and have a wireless um, router in the premises. So that's certainly what I have at, at home. Um, so they are really, uh, uh, certainly from the from NBN Co's perspective, uh, complementary as opposed to you know co competitive per se. Well, look, thank you, everybody, and um, I'm not sure what to do about these questions, <laughs> but maybe we can show them to the panel and somehow Melanie can get them onto the website or um, in some format so that you do get responses, and thanks for taking the time to do, to do that. Just finally, I'd like to thank the panel members um, and maybe if we could get each panel member just to make one statement uh, about uh, the NBN and this uh, forum or the future of NBN um, just as we close. So thank you to Sabine and would you like to make a comment? Um, now I've been put on the spot. Look, I would just encourage everybody to make the most of this really exciting time. Um, Australia is putting itself at the forefront here um, and I'd really passionately like to see this sector seize the day and make of it you know, what you can to really enhance your lives both as teachers and I think for all of us as continuous learners. So good luck. Thanks Sabine. Sam, would you like to make a comment? Uh, yes, uh, I, thank I've you. got no quibbles with, the, um, with what the panel said. So for me the keys are the culture, relationship and um, disruptiveness. So, for example, we have our own fibre connection to our campus, uh, but we're good corporate citizens, we adopt uh, department policies, but only through that disruptiveness can we actually achieve the outcomes we want in terms of that relationship building using the technologies unpetted by restrictiveness. So um, those, are, those, are, those are the key things for me. And, and additionally, um, a support for our staff uh, will we'll, uh, pay for some of their uh, broadband connectivity using Rnet uh, to actually um, give them the opportunity to actually um, uh, significantly uh, uh, engage with their learners in a new way. Dennis? <laughs> Educators should 
really use the technology to design a learning experience and not create the content that's going to fill the pipe. Because that's just like the car companies today building Hummer. You know, like just because you can doesn't mean that you must. It's about what you learn. And thank you very much, Dennis, for your contribution. And thank Dean, you. finally. Um, I, I, I'd like to just uh, pick up on Alex's comment and say that whilst it's fantastic that we're all going to go harder and faster with all this new connectivity, perhaps, um, don't, sell, don't give away or don't stop paying attention to issues that are around also in government, such as uh, the no clean feed problems, the desire to tap into your internet and see what you're doing, the issues it's going to bring up about privacy and identity and where your data is stored and how fast your image and your identities are moving around the internet. So whilst we're, being, we're, we're seeing that the hover car videos, do, do, there may well be a backlash and a, and a problem in that. So we do need to think very carefully about privacy and identity and what we're actually giving away in order to get this, this potentially this, this faster connection. So look in the corners, people. <laughs> So a huge thank you to the panel, please. <laughs> so the NBN will give us many, many opportunities, but I can see that there's a lot of challenges along the way as well. So look, thank you for your attention. I know it's lunchtime and it's overtime. We did have one other video, uh, which we will play just going out. If you want to sit and watch it, please do. But I just think it's useful to have a look at some of the ideas that are coming through companies that you least expect. This video is from uh, Corningware, so it's about glass technology. So, um, Steph, maybe you could play that and if people want to stay and watch it, they can. If you're starving and you want to go out and have your lunch, please do so. So, thank you. I'd like to thank Robbie for organising the panel this afternoon and also... Um, in regards to the questions, Robin, using the same website, uh, http www.elearning11.net, we're going to put the questions up there and invite anyone to comment. The questions will be put as a blog post, so you'll all be able to answer, put your answers. So thanks for participating. We're actually going to go from the old technology onto a blog, onto new technology, which is great. And I think with, with Dean's comment at the end, we might see a slow movement around a very fast internet. Thank you.